Welcome to another installment of the Nameless Podcast. I'm here with the one and only Jeff. Hey there. What's up? Not a whole lot, my friend. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm uh I'm glad we finally got to record. Or we're getting to record. Yeah, yeah dude. Present tense. <laughs> yeah. Gotta stay in that present moment. Stay in the moment. I'm glad because I I thought the window had had closed. Yeah. Yeah. But then fortune smiled upon us. And now we are back here together reunited <laughs> as one. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah. What's the word, my friend? How's how we're record we're rec- I can't even talk. We're recording on a Friday. And uh yeah. Yeah, how's your Friday been? Friday's been good, man. Just kind of been kicking it. Uh, trying to keep up with the news, all this, uh, you know, crazy abortion memes just flying out of nowhere. There's a lot news of... out of Alabama. Alabama. There's a lot of abortion stuff going on. But from what I understand, Alabama's not the only state that passed. Ohio also passed a pretty stern um, abortion, anti-abortion bill. Missouri, I think, as well. Yeah. Why only Alabama? Is, because of, is, is it because theirs is like... There's like even incest and rape are off. <laughs> so like anytime we bring up Alabama, we have to have some mention of incest. <laughs> it's always like roll tide incest. Oh, roll tide. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I I think that's why. I think. But they were the only state because the only way that they let you have an abortion there is if the mother's life is at risk. Hmm. Which is like not even like one percent of abortions. It's interesting. What are your thoughts on all of it? To me, I I don't even know that that should have the same name. You know, like if the mother's life is in risk, at risk, it seems like there should be a different name because Hellspawn, Hellspawn, Jettison. We could yeet the thing out of there, like. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I mean, obviously, if something's going to kill you, that's a different story than, you know, something's going to get in the way of uh, Thursday night lunch with the girls. Yeah, that's it's going to make a lot of things complicated. Mm-hmm. But like like we mentioned before, that it doesn't happen very often. Now, does that mean we shouldn't have legislation in place to help protect people that are part of the 1%? Well, no, certainly. No, no Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Protect you know, the 1% Bernie. of mothers. That's right. Who have Hellspawn trapped in the uterus. <laughs> Going to claw the way out of the uterus, rip up the mother's internal organs. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there, man. <laughs> we're segueing out. We're talking about Bernie. We're talking about abortions. He's like, where? Where, Ooh. where do we go? He's pushing all the buttons real early. I like it. Bernie abortions. Ooh. Imagine Bernie abortions. You know he hasn't even been present yet, so like, it wouldn't make a whole lot of difference if he were aborted, like years and years and years ago. It wouldn't really affect the course of history that much. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, it would affect the state of Vermont because mm. he's been their senator since the Stone Age. Mm. I was there writing drawings on the ca- on the on the walls of the caves with Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, it's a tricky thing, dude. But that is a good point. Like at that, like at that point in time, an abortion is more. It seems like it's more a free will thing. And if a mother's about to die, it's almost like her. I don't want to say her agency, but like it really limits her choices. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's like a husband. What if she's incapacitated or something, and the husband has to make the call, like or parents or somebody else. The thing with the whole abortion debate that I wish was discussed more and that really gets in the way, I think because of the polarization of politics today, is that we don't really look for, to even listen what the other side is saying. So right? are you talking right to left or left to right? Both. Both. I mean, I, I've seen some things go down where I think the right has kind of um, extended an olive branch uh, with even with its recent film that just like skewers Planned Parenthood, it still treated the left and people who get abortions with a tremendous amount of like fairness and respect. Yeah. Right. But, and of course there's still a lot of animosity with some, you know, calling the left baby killers and everything like that. But on the flip side of the coin, right, you have people on the far left who think that, it's literally just like an intentional war on women yeah. that men want women to get raped and then have to carry the fetus of like intentionally for that purpose. Interesting. You mentioned that. Do you know who Matt Walsh is? I've heard. Yeah. Matt Walsh. So in the Twitter verse, I subscribe to prominent left and right figures. So I've, I've subscribed to Ben Shapiro and he retweeted a bunch of Matt Walsh stuff. Mm-hmm. And Matt Walsh went as far as to say that in the case of a father raping a daughter or having sex with a daughter, either way, it's rape. Um, he said that the daughter should be forced to carry the baby because it's like concrete proof that the father raped her. That's a little rough. It seems like you could get there by just proving there's a fetus inside of her. <laughs> right? Like a bunch of people were like, uh, yo bro, the people who were toughest on him were his fans. They're like, uh, that makes no sense. I'm a huge fan of yours and that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean like it's, it's a human being. Is it just going to live in like the evidence room? Shapiro of- didn't, Shapiro didn't retweet that one. I found it because mm. I had already not liked him because of a number of things that he said in the past, primarily when Robin Williams died, he talked about his depression being totally, 100% under his control Ooh. and like completely neglected or not neglected, but just completely through all types of scientific evidence just out the window and said like, really he was sad, but he had all the resources to be happy and it was his choice to be sad and, and to kill himself. And it's like, um, no, we've progressed a lot on that front now to where it's not as, it's not one of those things where it's as clean cut as what it used to be where people are like, well, they, they made the choice. They did it. There's a lot of stuff that leads up to that point where people are, are actually sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just comes into, you know, there's a constant debate. No matter what the subject is, it seems like there's responsibility and then there's things that happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And just the acknowledgement of that and the understanding that maybe that our narrow views our our narrow mindset might not have all the answers for what's going on in another person's circumstances right we don't understand all the trauma that led up to that point that 
cause that because even though he was in the public eye a lot, there's still things going behind closed doors that we have no clue about. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it was a very unfair thing to say. And uh, the problem that I have is that he has such Matt Walsh has so much sway over a lot of conservatives because they tout him as a free thinker and a conservative up and comer really have a problem with that. So yeah, when he said that it's, it's funny that you mentioned that about the abortion thing, how people on the left think people on the right are thinking that men just want to force themselves on women, but there are people who think that way Mm -hmm. and it's, it's bad. Oh, of course. But the problem is it's not all, it's not everybody on the right. Oh, certainly. And it's not all men and it's not all white men and it's not all, it's, it's, there's a name for these people. It's, it's psychopaths. It's yeah. sociopaths. Well, and I, I think this, I think this problem with the abortion, it's just like any other issue in politics from, from us. Like we have, we don't hold any position in government. We're just constituents. We're citizens taxpayers the problem is is we are presented by news sources with two options like an abortion it's pro-life or pro-choice and Mm -hmm. that's it you can't have any other stance which my stance is i don't give two shits about what they do what a woman does unless it's like unless it's a woman that i've had sex with and she wants to (laughs) abort it like that's when it concerns me but if it's my neighbor's child i like that doesn't affect me i have like why should i tell her what to do and well, that's and that's the scary thing too. I mean, like, let's say that it is you or or any man. Let's say it's the listener, and they're in that situation. I mean, that's a scary situation to be in. So first and foremost, you know, we can uh, take the one advice of that crazy Hollywood actress that's on her sex strike, and maybe just don't dip your dick in crazy. Oh, that's a good oh, start. Yeah. Melissa Milano. Mo- Alyssa Milano. Alyssa yeah. Milano. <laughs> Melissa <laughs> Alano. <laughs> Alyssa Cookie. Dude, Milano cookies are so good Ooh. from Pepperidge Farm. Those are tasty. I, I may have to run by Smith's tonight and eat some. Damn. I'm a fat ass. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously though, but back to the back to the point, I think it's it's like immigration. Immigration you're told that they're either breaking the law or we shouldn't uphold the law. Which is stupid because the law just needs to be changed flat out because there's clearly an issue with like the problem is, is most of these people are going to be lower middle class workers and the expenses that they're being told, like normal people like us, it would even be a little difficult to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Like these people have the same skills that a lot of our lower middle class have. Certainly. So it doesn't really adjust because getting a lawyer in another country is almost impossible for poor people. Mm-hmm. You have to find people to do pro bono work. And if people do pro bono work, where are they getting their money for their time and effort spent? For sure. You know, I, I just think that I, I would really hope that people can look in and just have a more nuanced approach to play devil's advocate to, to their own positions um, and see if they can empathize with what their opponents are saying, at least to understand them. And, and from there, you know, whether you want to destroy that position or you want to change your mind, at least you have the tools there. We do ourselves a huge disservice by not being willing, not being willing, by not being willing to look at things from another perspective. Because my stance on abortion changed because I used to be 100% pro-life mm-hmm. because I thought, well, all human life is important. And I think we need to fight tooth and nail to uphold it. Sure. 
But a friend of mine posted an article that talked about how those children that you're fighting so hard for them to be born, they're probably going to be marginalized by the time they get older anyway. Because they're normally being born into pretty shitty circumstances where they're not wanted anyway. Mm-hmm. I thought, huh, that's food for thought. And the other problem, too, is why, like, why should we care so much about unwanted children when our foster care system is a mess and it costs an arm and a leg to adopt a child? Yeah, you know, there was a, <laughs> there was a Babylon Bee article here. <laughs> Babylon Bee. I love the Babylon Bee. And it, it was talking about just that. It was... Um, Oh damn! That's gonna. We need a Jamie for this for these moments. Pull that shit up, Jamie. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it really quick. This is pretty funny because it's kind of a counter argument to what you're saying. Yeah. Um. Where is it? We'll get there. Babylon B. <laughs> I remember the the first time I'd ever heard about Babylon B. I had to double check, like one of the articles, because a lot of times you can tell that it's satire. <laughs> but they've got some other ones that are like. Wait a second. This is going to take another like five seconds. It's like the new onion. It is. Yeah, but so much better. The onion. I I love the onion. The onion. The chav. All right, here it is. So here's the counter argument. You were were talking about how children are born into poverty. Children are born into bad circumstances, right? Yeah. How that's kind of a pro-choice argument. Well, right here it's... This article, whew, close one. This baby was almost born into poverty, but his mother killed him in the nick of time. Talk about a close call. This baby was almost born into poverty, but his mother killed him just before the cutoff for abortion in their state. With literally just a few days to spare, she ended his life, saving him from a, living a life that isn't always perfect. So That's a good point. It's a very good point. I, I mean, it. we all just have such different circumstances that we live in. And, you know, there, there might be decades of your life that are just shitty. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what circumstances you're born in. Things shift, things change. And so I don't know that it's exactly the the greatest argument to say, well, they might live a terrible life. Right. But I and like I said before, I'm not either side. Mm-hmm. But I understand why somebody could be pro choice. Yeah, certainly. And the likelihood of these people being exposed, like if you're in the foster care system. You're likely to get abused through the roof. Mm -hmm. And you very well might become a little bit more pro-choice if you ever meet a terrible mother. I mean, it happens. Yeah. But then again, I'm glad I wasn't aborted. Yeah. I mean, it always comes back to that. Like, that's the problem that I have. Like, in New York, how they can just be like, like, literally the day before the pregnancy, and they're like, you know what? I don't want this thing. And it's like... The other problem that I find with with legislation that we have is it seems like they try so hard to put these timelines like after three months, like some children are born premature and they still live. Certainly. I mean, at that point, it's viable, right? Right. So that's that's just the weird, just kind of crazy how things are getting shook up. You know, the Republicans are kind of coming back. We're getting Supreme Court nominees, and and all this things are just changing. What what's uh, what's Mr. Kavanaugh been saying about this stuff? Ooh, I don't know about. We that. don't know shit about him because the only thing him. that mattered was was when he yeah. got nominated. That's it. <laughs> Let's just throw rape accusations <laughs> at the wall and see if they stick. 
But, you know, him, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she's up there in years. Like, I really do think Roe v. Wade is hanging on by a thread, for better or worse. Well, yeah, because we have multiple states now who have stood up and said, no, we don't want it. Absolutely. And that should, you know what? I don't think it's an answer that not a lot of people want to hear, but I think the states should have way more power to determine this stuff mm-hmm. because of the factors that play into the, like, where you're living, the socioeconomic factors or the geopolitical factors. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely think that uh, as far as states go, uh, the decentralization of power in general is a great thing. Yeah. Because if you don't like your state, you can always move to a different one. Right. But if you don't like your country, it's like, but I don't want to go somewhere else. That's a else. much bigger move, right? Right, right. I don't want to go Culture, to Culture, language, all those things. I don't want to go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like tacos. But I don't want to get off by the cartel. Okay, do you like like American tacos? Do you like the taco like Taco Bell, or are we talking like some carne asada, I like some authentic. cilantro? The problem is, is I like I had cebolla. Like there were some Guatemalan people that would cook kind of like Mexican style, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like prominent. Hmm. So I haven't had a ton of authentic Mexican cuisine, mm. but I've eaten like authentic tacos, and they're the best. It's the best. You know, that's that's one of those dilemmas for, for anybody out there who's maybe served a Mormon mission, gone out to some foreign country and, and changed their diet and had to wear some nice white underwear. <laughs> it um it shows. It did definitely shows. <laughs> Takes a couple of weeks to uh get used to. So um good luck to anybody who's gotta make the switch. It, uh, also, uh, while we're just talking about like state stuff. Did you hear about Denver? Yes. Yeah. The, the shrooms. It was, that was better than like a last minute Super Bowl victory. Dude. <laughs> like seriously. Yeah. It's huge. It is. It's huge news. It really is. And it, can you elaborate a little more as to why? Because for most people, they equate shrooms to just having a good trip and getting, you know, shwasted. Getting shwasted. Yeah, but w- why is that so important? Because I don't think it was under the guise of just, everybody, have fun doing this recreationally. I think there was something behind it medically, but I haven't read up too much on it. Sure. So, well, first, before we get into the utility of it or whatever, like, it was close, guys. It was really close. Like, I was checking the polls, like, past midnight, right? And the thing basically reported, oh, psilocybin's been defeated in Denver. And then come from behind victory... By just a couple thousand votes the next day, the thing passes. Really? And so celebrate good times. It was a very Come on. narrow margin. Very, very narrow. It was about 50 or 51%. Very narrow. So, so now we have magic mushrooms in Colorado. Well, in Denver at least. And it's decriminalized, so it's not going to be sold in stores or anything like that. But it will be um, legal essentially to, to possess and to use in the privacy of your own home. Anything like that. Obviously, we don't want people out there driving... Um, well, they're on, while they're on shrooms or anything. Oh my gosh. But if you have any experience with anything like that, you'd know that would just be a completely asinine thing to do anyways. Right. So uh, the utility of something like this, um, there have recently been some, some studies say with John Hopkins, um, where they gave psilocybin to people who were clinically depressed and facing a terminal diagnosis of cancer, or some other condition. 
And what they found is that if they got the dosage right, if, if they were able to elicit what they called a mystical experience in these people um, with these mushrooms, that the people, their happiness jumped like one standard deviation. They could like face for, their mortality and they could have quality of life at the end of life. Do you know exact numbers of how many patients? Like 80, 90 percent? Mm, I'd have to see the stats on on you know what the control groups and everything like that were. So what you're saying is you don't have the documents. I do not have the documents <laughs> on me. But it was a legitimate study from John Hopkins, which is pretty one of the most One of the most pre- prestigious medical institutions in the country. Absolutely. And the utility goes far beyond that. I mean, it's, it's obviously not just for like, you know, end of life issues or, or whatever. And Great for cooking. <laughs> Fantastic for cooking. <laughs> just got to make sure that your guests stick around after the meal because it takes about 40 minutes to kick in. Shroom pizza. And by then it's just going to slap you into another universe. So Shroom spaghetti. Ooh. Spaghetti and shrooms. Mm. <laughs> They don't taste great though. Yeah, they don't taste fantastic. They ain't, they ain't too good. Yeah, I had a friend who took shrooms, and he said that it just made him. He took it while he was out on a hike, and he got to the top of this peak and was just able to look out over everything. It just felt immensely grateful mm. for what he was seeing. So kind of like what you mentioned before, how their happiness level was augmented by taking that. That's kind of like what he described it as. It made him appreciate where he was in life that much more. It was just a generally positive experience. For sure. But that's the problem with a lot of these. Do they classify it as a, um, as a, whatchamacallit, a psychedelic? Yes, absolutely it is. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a tryptamine. It's a type of um, dimethyltryptamine if I'm, you know, I hope I'm not speaking uh, incorrect on that. But it, the chemical structure is actually very similar to dimethyltryptamine, uh, which is the, DMT. the ingredient in, in ayahuasca. Uh, and the one time that I the the one time that I have tried mushrooms, right? Yeah, we were just in a beautiful setting. It was in Sequoia National Park, Ooh, yes. among just these ancient ancient trees and waterfalls, and like it was just incredible. And to be in touch with nature when your eyes are open, and then to go just into this deep, deep, deep state of whatever the inside of your mind wants to show you. So that was all incredible. So while we're on the topic, because we because this all came from that it was legalized or, or decriminalized because mm-hmm. it's been shown to help people. So why has it been? I mean, what's been the main cause of it not being legal for all this time? Because we're talking how many years? <clears throat> there was a blanket ban. Uh, during, I believe it was the Nixon administration, right? Um, when the Vietnam War was not terribly popular, and and mushrooms weren't really the issue with that. It was mostly LSD. Um, but basically, the the counterculture of the day was saying, uh, turn on, tune in, drop out. You know, don't go to the Vietnam War. Don't serve these powers. It was undermining the authority of government at that time. Yeah. So there's a blanket ban, like decades ago that has kind of led to all these things being schedule one there there used to be utility for a lot of these things in therapy therapists would use things like this they'd use lsd as tools they'd they'd use mdma as tools mdma is actually also coming back as a therapeutic therapeutic tool not on the same level but marijuana as well marijuana schedule one still correct 
according yes. to federal 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 law. I roll, and is technically also a psychedelic, which is wild, but it's very mild. That's so. some crazy shit you smoking. That is, that is some crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. So do you do you think that so the hippies? Do you think they gave it a bad? Do you think a lot of them were morally invested in it, or they just wanted to have a good time? You know, there was a great book on all this, and it's where I've got a lot of my knowledge. It was called How to Change Your Mind. It was a book by Michael Pollan, who's a great writer. And he talked basically about the downfall of all that, that that basically there was one prominent man uh, named Timothy Leary who just spoke up a little too fast, a little too soon, and a little too in the government's face about it, right? To the point where it did eventually get shut down. Um, as far as everybody's party, everybody, you know, was a major buzzkill. Yeah. Nixon's probably the biggest buzzkill of all time. So, But I'm not a crook. He was, though. Uh, so that, too. <laughs> little hypocrisy and, you know. Anyways. Bless yeah. his heart. But, um, yeah, so so mushrooms, they... it's It's incredible news because from there you know, news can spread. And if people are, there can be a second renaissance of this kind of stuff. Well, and we also have the internet on our side oh, too. Yeah. So it helps things like this proliferate and make a big impact. Didn't you also say they were using it to treat soldiers with PTSD? Absolutely. Well, they're, currently they're not. Uh, the only thing that's being used right now as far as PTSD in the category of what we would call you know, psychedelics or, or drugs of that type there, yeah. they've actually started up now with MDMA, ecstasy, Molly, whatever we want to call it. Um, and as a future therapist myself, um, I am looking to, to get involved with that, right. To be involved in the administration of MDMA for people who have been through PTSD so that they can, um, have an experience where, you know, they feel a euphoric rush of love within them that can overcome a lot of, these uh, traumatic memories, traumatic things that have happened in their lifetime. So giving, administering this drug in a responsible amount brings in, for lack of a better term, enough positive vibes that it overcomes all the traumatic events that they've, that they've been experiencing. Is it something that has to be done consistently or is it like you have to have a couple like heart to heart moments, they let it out, they take the MDMA overcomes like what's the process look by in, by treating people so i i don't know that it would necessarily i mean the the past happens you know somebody right. with with ptsd they have a past they have something traumatic that's happened right and obviously coming down off of some great high you're still going to be placed in that same world again but it helps them to integrate it into into a an experience that they can that they can then go out and um and have a more functional life where they're not as um, focused, where they're not drawn into it as much. There's not as much dissociation. There's not as much of these <laughs> symptoms going on. So um, does it help suppress triggers? Uh, yeah. I mean, essentially that to decrease symptoms of PTSD is, is what it is uh, currently being used for. And it's still in its uh, trial phases with the uh, FDA to get fully approved as a, as a therapy. Um, so that is is up and coming, um, and and very exciting for people who who have lived with those conditions. And I, go I know we watched we watched some Andrew Yang stuff, mm -hmm. and it sounds like 
he is in moving in that direction. He said that he would push for decriminalization of all wheat, marijuana offenses. He would on four. Uh, what did he say? He said if he were elected president on April twentieth of twenty twenty. No, of 2021. How amazing would that be if that becomes like a national holiday where it's like open up celebrated. the prison doors, Ugh. just let all the prisoners out. Not all the prisoners, obviously, but any of the uh, nonviolent offenders, uh, marijuana offenders, anything like that. I think that that would be something I could totally get. Do you know that. how incredible that, that would be? It'd be a national holiday. Because we incarcerate. <laughs> yeah, because we incarcerate so many people. Yeah. And especially for 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 weed, yeah, absolutely. No, it, it, I mean it's it's definitely lined the pockets like of could, the prison industrial complex, and we are hundy. the number one country in the world as far as um, as far as you know, for profit. So incarceration. This is, so I'm all for dec- I'm actually for decrim can't talk decriminalization of all drugs, one hundred percent, all of them across the board. Totally, it's a radical. Th- Many would deem it radical. Sure. But my, here's my thought. Portugal had success with it. Portugal had an immense amount of success, and it was quick, too. The turnaround that they had, it didn't take long at all. Mm-hmm. I think Portugal's probably the number one example of that. Incredible what they've done. Now, here's the only thing that I, I, like, I kind of run it through. If we decriminalize it, what would be the biggest... I wouldn't say like fallout, but what would be probably the biggest reactions that we would get in terms of like, for example, the cartels, how would they react if we decriminalized all the drugs? What would they do? It would neuter the cartels. Do you think they would? They'd be pissed. They might decapitate a few people. This sounds horrible, but as long as they're not Americans. Uh, (laughs) I mean, they might be. They might get a hold of some senator. Who knows, right? But, but I mean, violent people are always going to pose a threat. But if you can cut them off at the source of their income, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, on top of that, of course, you do have drugs that are known to be drugs of abuse. You know, you, you have things like fentanyl, heroin, methamphetamine, things like that. And if there were a total um, decriminalization of all those things, just playing devil's advocate here there would need to be something kind of in place to help people that, that are struggling with those addictions. So Just I think it's a social support. So I think a lot of the issues that we have, it's repurposing how we use our tax dollars. So instead of the billions that we spend to keep people locked up, you pull out, you pull out a card from the Uno deck, pull mm-hmm. out your reverse card say, instead we're just going to use this money to have state licensed therapists, um, outpatient clinics, um, oh, what are they called? rehab centers mm-hmm. for poor people to go to. Absolutely. Because rehab is not cheap. It'd be a start. Yeah. It'd be It'd a be start. Huge. Cause I, I mean, just, I would need to see the exact numbers and of course, converting everything through from a prison complex to a therapeutic means of helping people there it would be costly sure but the therapies are already there in place yeah we just need to help it just means taking business away from people who want to go into law enforcement yeah and putting it into 
people who want to go into therapy. What would you propose as solutions, like the safety nets for people, if we were to decriminalize all drugs? What would you propose? Mm, man, you got me on the spot here. But I, I do think that just kind of following what Portugal has outlined, I think yeah. they have a great model for that. And some of that has been, yeah, we're going to have some resources available to help us transition into this new system with the hope that we're going to get drug usage down because that's what they did. Well, and the other thing that I read too is that they had fines that you would pay. It wasn't like you got off scotch free. Like if, like, let's say I go and take some angel dust and I'm running around the neighborhood <laughs> Just, I don't know, punching holes in people's doors, you know, because I'm all hopped up on on Angel on Dust. On that PCP? On that PCP. <laughs> but, like, that, that, it, that could be a negative thing. I'm not saying everybody would go around on Angel Dust wreaking havoc. But from what I read in Portugal is, like, if you were caught intoxicated in public, you still would have to pay a fine for it. But it wasn't, like jail time wasn't years in prison it was it still was a means to make sure that people like to help discourage people from doing these things in public sure does that make sense sure and i mean that that's along the lines of say just like a a, what do they call it a disturbing the peace or or any of these kind of bullshitty sounding charges but i mean that's what they can that's what they can hit you with if you're doing something i mean obviously just got to keep your shit together man because like drunk and disorderly or something yeah you know you gotta you gotta do that in a way that it's like we get a town full of Jim Leahy's. Yeah, you you don't you don't want to be that guy where parents are trying to shield their kids' eyes from what you're doing. Your half naked dance on top of a school bus. Like you don't need to be that guy. Yeah, you know, go home if you're gonna try anything. Just go home. Just try it in the the privacy of your own home. Well, and there are some drugs that Find I would never. In a, there are some drugs that in a million years I would never advocate for their use. Like meth. Oh, of course. Like meth? No. There you've there's no point in taking meth. No, but Adderall, I gotta tell you, is pretty delicious. But the Addies. I got a tasty prescription for that for my ADHD and it really helps a lot. The Addies. Well yeah. I mean basically the well, same it's, thing. It's prescribed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you smoke your Adderall out of a pipe? I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> I don't think my doctor would like it if I did, so I probably shouldn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a trip. What a trip. I hope in my lifetime though I can I can see us breaking down this huge prison complex that we have. That'd be lovely. Trump signed some type of bill recently to help not lock so many people up. I saw some of the videos behind it because he had some convicts that he allowed, he brought into the White House and had them had them speak and some stuff. But I didn't have a chance to read the actual legislation. Right on. That's that's good. But I'd hope so. That's the th- could be just a political stunt, maybe racially motivated. Or- Listen, I love prison. Never been there personally, <laughs> but I've heard lots of great things about prison. Okay, had some great taco salads in prison. <laughs> Listen, I don't like tossing salads. Not my style. (laughs) Trump in prison. Trump goes to prison. (laughs) He would at least get peed on. (laughs) He's supposed to like that, so. Uh, Yeah, where is that Golden Showers video? It's rumored to exist. Yeah. Get it together, WikiLeaks. Where are you on that? You got it in the name. Says leaks in Let, the name. Let's talk about that too. Jeez. Julian Assange. Oh, yeah. Assange. Assange. 
Assange. Assange. Do you think he's a criminal? Totally a hero. Okay, I was I was about to say, I was about to say I was like like what I did. Wait. Like like how are how are you for like decentralizing power in the government to all of a sudden like but no, he's no he's a traitor. No, it's it 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 comes back to the polarization of everything that's going on. I mean, anytime that he does something that the right doesn't like, way back in the day, the left cheers and goes, Yay, he's our hero. You know, he he publishes this stuff with uh now Chelsea Manning. Yeah. Um, you know, and gets that footage out there and it's it's war crimes, it's all this stuff. So the left is praising him as a hero. He does the very same thing. To the left, leader. to the left, and becomes just a devil. A lot of the so, Hillary stuff was due to WikiLeaks, right? A lot of the emails, yeah, the yeah. emails were all part of the WikiLeaks. The John Podesta emails, all of that, that was WikiLeaks. <sighs> Interesting. Yeah, they're they're sore losers. Is what we got going on with the left right now, and they want to crucify some guy for it. So he's been extradited. He's here, mm-hmm. right? He's being held in the federal prison. I haven't caught up on it. I was just bummed when he got arrested. He'll probably never see the light of day. And and Chelsea Manning's in prison now too. I didn't know for Chel- refusing to testify. I didn't know Chelsea Manning was in prison. Yep. Damn. That person is back in prison. What about Eddie Snowden? Ooh. He's still in Russia, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he's the one that Trump really wanted his head. Campaigned yeah, on, on cam- that, but who knows? I mean, it's a campaign promise. Yeah, on the campaign trail. I mean, he also said he was going to lock up Hillary while he was on the. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if Trump would have locked up Hillary? Like, if he would have stuck with that promise, would that have been like the first time a United States president had locked up <laughs> their competitor? That's some straight up Vladdy Putin shit. <laughs> that is. <laughs> you he pro- that's probably where he got the idea. Listen, I I'm not, I have a friend, okay, and he gave me this wonderful idea. I mean, he has some the the best ideas. One of them is you lock up your opponents. I was talking to my friend Vlad the other day. <laughs> not Vladimir Putin, just Vlad. <laughs> He's Serbian. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Yeah, that oh, all that's a mess. All that is the giant mess. I'm I think my inner pessimist. Well, not my inner pessimist because I am a pessimist, but part of me feels like the U.S. government is never going to relinquish their power, like ever, unless we take it back. Yeah. And I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know if that's pessimism. I'd say that's realism. And there's going to have to be some struggle. There's going to have to be some, some yeah, strife to, to shake things up. Well, if I'm if I'm like, I don't know, if I'm one of these... If I'm one of these representatives that served in my congressional seat for 30 years and nobody ever runs against me during the elections, why would I want the U.S. government to give up power? Like, Some Orrin Hatch looking bastard that's been in there his whole life. Uh, who's like basically born and put into a suit and said, okay, you're in you're in Congress now. Do your job. Yeah. Have fun. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Why would they want to give that up? And they get fat stacks for doing that. Certainly. They get a lot of good dough, and they get a lot of good benefits, too. Yeah. Probably a lot of money coming in from all the different complexes. Lobbyists. Military industrial. Yeah. For instance. I did not know about the lobbyist groups that pre-write regis- uh, legislation and just send it <laughs> to the like representative's office or the senator's office. Just be like, just write your name here. <laughs> 
and then go go present it on the floor. That's some crazy, crazy stuff. It's pretty nuts. Like I knew lobbyists were powerful, but like, damn. Yeah, I thought corporate sponsors were supposed to be for like NASCAR and shit. <laughs> for NASCAR, it's it's straight out of Idiocracy. You know, we... <laughs> NASCAR lobbyists. Can you imagine? He's got like big old giant banners that just say Boeing and. <laughs> It's like it's like senators go onto the floor to present and they have to like raise down their sigil so it's a state flag and then their number one corporate sponsor. <laughs> like Hi, this message is brought to you by General Motors. Thank you. <laughs> That'd be interesting. That'd be very interesting. You know what you know what's also funny is so one of the so Vince McMahon's wife is on President Trump's cabinet. Mm. Like W, we've got WWE in our cabinet. <laughs> Ooh, that's wild. Okay, Linda, um, I want you to tell me about what wrestling has taught you about running a tight economy. I want to see Ric Flair joining the Trump administration. <laughs> I think you would do great to be like the spokesperson. Replace that, you know, press that, secretary, that plain looking chick. Yeah. Oh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh, gross. Yeah, get him up there, and he can just start everything with woo. Well, Sarah, Huck- a great time. Sarah Huckabee Sanders already kind of does that because she's just a big red. It would make press conferences great again. Make press conferences wonderful. Well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is already kind of a redneck because she goes up and I swear that she she talked to. Somebody posed a question about taxes and she made up this like this uh, this story of, or no, this scenario like, let's say this guy in the bar buys one beer. It's, it was like something she probably read off of Facebook, like straight up. <laughs> it was so cringe. She's just up there memeing and screaming <laughs> right from the podium. Meme and scream. <laughs> Memes. The Department of Maine. A U.S. Department of Memes. Well, yeah, that's called the FCC because they they filter out all of our. Dude, what's with Zuckerberg lately? Like the banning Zuck. everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. You I got, got zucked like a week ago. You got zucked on the first for date. something I said during Charlottesville that was actually criticizing the alt right. I thought that was very interesting, and because it was very outspoken against the alt right. Yeah, but it also. Just I said, mentioned like, hey, I don't like Antifa either. Yeah, that was, it was very one-sided. Oh, no, it's no, it wasn't one-sided, no. but I think there was a lot more hate going towards the alt-right than, why do people Definitely. not, why do people on the left not speak up against Antifa? <laughs> no, but, ser- but seriously, I've never heard a left-leaning person ever speak out against Antifa, ever. No, because it's it's by its very name, it's anti-fascist. So why would they, right? The left doesn't really decry violence from their side because it's always justified. Yeah, it's all subjective. I don't know. Maybe this is just my own personal experience. I'm sure there's a lot of good people on the left, and I don't want to just demonize everybody there not. because it's not. Well, and, um, and it's but, faulty to say everybody on the left. I, it's it's faulty to make blanket statements. But like I, I haven't heard enough criticism. No, but everybody's an alt right person now. Oh, yeah. And it's unfounded. They're calling Joe Rogan an alt-right proponent. This shadowy, intellectual, dark web figure, Joe Rogan. Jordan Peterson's been labeled an alt-right. Sam Harris. 
<laughs> like what? What the hell? If these people researched anything about them, you'd be like, oh, they're definitely not all right. Yeah. Like it's just that they don't tell the line. Exactly. They call they call Sam Harris all right because he said things about Muslims that people didn't want to hear. That's because he's an outspoken atheist. Yeah, and yeah. A- intersectionality eats itself inevitably. Yeah, there's going to be conflicts between internet atheists and internet Muslims. There's going to be conflicts. There's going to be um, victimhood Olympics between certain classes of people, different kinds of minorities, just vying for status and and telling people to get out of their lane. Victimhood Olympics. Oh yeah, who's going to get the gold? Who's going to take first place? And that's not to say also, I mean, people have legitimate grievances, but, you know, just this focus on identity, it's just, it's narcissism coming out as a society when we're just focusing on groups of people and what's going to benefit me and, and, and all of that. It's, it's just what do you think drawing is, funny lines. What do you think has contributed so much to this divisiveness? Because we've mentioned a lot of people who are free thinkers and it's and there's the second that somebody says something they don't like it's all right mm-hmm. jordan peterson's all right because he tells men to stand up for themselves and be productive and 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 that there are social hierarchies yeah uh, but, but yeah like things like that and then all of a sudden he's all right it's the scale's been tipped so far that there's no room for any type of middle ground it seems like yeah what do you think's contributed I, to that? I, I just think that, you know, when you have such a such a figure as Donald Trump in the White House, that pisses people off. But it's not like Trump was the first person to usher in divisiveness. I Certainly think it not. was augmented. But he's embraced it. Oh yeah. He'll embrace it in his tweets. Well he I, loves to poke the bear. Well, and on the campaign trail, the first thing that I did that he did when he announced his presidency was like uh, Mexicans suck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like that's the first thing he did. So I get that, but it, it was already there. Like prejudice hasn't, it, like that's something that's been around since the dawn of time. Like animosity is naturally sown between human beings at some point in time. Certainly, and I mean personally, most of the time I, I just try to to butt out of it. Like I'll, I'll stay abreast of what's going on, but at the same time. Sometimes it's just not worth the effort to get all political and 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 soapbox because, well, as Jordan Peterson has pointed out, right? Just clean your damn room. Yeah. Just start there, man. Like, why are we escaping into this? The system is broken. The system is corrupt. And of course it is. Well, what the hell are you going to do about that? Uh, I know I'm not going to fix the system. Not going to do a, a damn thing. Right. Yeah, I won't. Yeah. Sorry. I have... I have think you're a capable dude nothing personal <laughs> same goes for me i think i have a lot of nice things to say it's like clean your room clean up your life do something yourself where you could even rise to a position of prominence and power and do something that's going to be significant in your life maybe make a couple dents in the universe in the time you have here right instead of just screaming at the sky like ah cue the video of the girl screaming during the trump <laughs> inauguration no <laughs> Which one, dude? <laughs> there's been like 10. And there's been like 10 like hoaxes. Well, not, that, like hate crime hoaxes. Well, <laughs> this that's, year. That's the thing that's frustrating because a Donald Trump presidency 
like I think it was a good time for the American people to stand up and not tap in to what he is basically for us to not copy his battle plan. I think it would have been a bigger F you to him for everybody to stand up and be like, no, I love my neighbor. I'm going to talk with people about our differences instead of just being like, no, you're racist. You're, you're a rapist. You know who gets it? Hmm. People don't get it. And I, this, I can't believe these, this word, these words are coming out of my mouth, but Kanye gets it. (laughs) Kanye knew how to play Trump. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. walked in there with his MAGA hat, and he said some things. You know, he said, "You know, black people have certain problems going on. You know, let's work to find solutions that's going to work for our community. Let's let's work to well again to try to decriminalize some drugs, get some people out of prison." Even before Trump had been in office, there were the Trump had met with prominent figures in the black community, like a football player by the name of Ray Lewis um, and Jim Brown. Mm. who was also a social activist in his own right. Mm. I just, I, it's things, it's these blanket statements where people think Trump is the incarnation of evil. You're just, all that it is really, and even if he is, you're going to get so much further feeding people sugar than feeding them shit. Yeah. And so if all you're doing is screaming at somebody, they're not going to want to listen to you. Well, part of that reason, I think that's another reason why Trump got elected is because people were so tired of being called racist, um, bigots, and all this stuff because they had a differing opinion. I think everybody was like, you know what, liberals? Here you go. We're going to put Trump in office just to show you that we're not. like, <laughs> They were not messing around, huh? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm interested because... Nobody else is running on the right. They're, like, Who else is declared for they presidency don't. on the right? They, I, I, they usually don't. If they have a solid incumbent and they're going to try to push him through, unless there's something that, you know, and he is divisive enough in the right that, that he could potentially even have a challenger. I just don't think anybody's going to take that challenger very seriously. Do you think we'll have a Ross Perot? Uh, we might have another Gary Johnson, bless his heart. Um, Where's Aleppo? Goodness. Yeah, that was that was scary. It was a scary time. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Gary Johnson was not my dude. I saw him debate once in person. I really? went down to Vegas and saw him debate McAfee and and uh, oh, what's that other guy's name? Peterson, the uh, Austin Peterson. Mm. They're all up on the stage. I love McAfee, but I he was he's got a McAfee. Ooh, he's crazy. He's crazy. He was wanted for murder in. <sighs> In like he was what? living in like where was it like Belize? He's wanted oh. for murdering his neighbor in Belize, and he faked a heart attack to get extradited back to the United States, and then ran for president. Oh. This is the guy that started McAfee Software. Oh, that guy! That guy, Robert, Robert McAfee, and he married a prostitute that he met. He hired a prostitute, fell in love with her. Oh, that dude's nuts. He's he's crazy, but like he, uh, I don't know. He just kind of had the the fire to. I thought get somewhere. He was my favorite of all the candidates. I didn't know he ran for president. He did. I knew he was kind of like a wild. I remember he he said, "Do you remember the San Bernardino shootings?" Oh yeah. And Apple refused to mm-hmm. break the encryption on the iPhones. Yeah. And he's like, "Send them to me. I'll I'll yeah. take care of them. <laughs> I'll do it myself. I'll do it." <laughs> <laughs> he's a nutty old guy. I mean. You know, it, it, you just wonder what his platform would even be. It would probably revolve around hookers and bath salts. <laughs> but 
and then Good uses on them him, to man. solve crazy to pioneer new computational feats. Ooh, yeah. Who knows? No, he, I mean he's brilliant. Maybe he's just like Rick Sanchez. So <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of Rick Sanchez. All right, Morty. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Rickard, Rickard Sanchez. Um, yum, 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 yum. It's eleven thirty. What? Doesn't feel like it. It's eleven thirty on a Friday. I keep looking at the pizza over there. <laughs> I've eaten Papa John's in the past. I've had Papa John's four times in the past week. Because hmm. they're out special. That's problematic. Their carryout special is hard to beat. <laughs> a large, large two-topping pizza for eight dollars. Carryout. He's sponsored, folks. Uh, oh yeah! <laughs> Shout out to my sponsors, Papa John's. Just kidding, guys. Just, just, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. But they do make a quality pie. They do. Out of all the big pizza chains, I'd probably take Papa John's over everybody else. Pretty tasty. I like Domino's. But, yeah. Last time I had Pizza Hut, it was not that good. Hmm. I don't really like Pizza Hut because they got stuffed crust. Yeah, something's just like unwelcoming about their place. I don't know. I've had it before, like buffet style in a, in a Pizza Hut. I don't know if... Oh, that... I've done that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a little iffy. It's all a little face creep me out. It's like ever... I don't know what to do in there. You ever heard of CeCe's Pizza? I don't know pizza? what to do with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do with my hands? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, CeCe's Pizza is renowned for like, you pay like six bucks, yeah. all you can eat pizza. CeCe's or uh, Pizza, I, I went there today actually, the Pizza Pie Cafe. It's delicious. It's pretty damn it's good. It's good pizza. Pretty damn good. CeCe's is okay, but the only reason I went to CeCe's is because they had the macaroni pizza. Mm. Oh. oh Carbo load. Oh, carbicide, baby. Ooh, can you, I want to tell you about a carbicide meal that I've had, Ooh. and you're going to have to try it. What is it? A ramen noodle sandwich. I'm not a huge fan of ramen. No? Well, you still need to eat the sandwich. So what you do, right? You take your ramen brick. You don't break it up. You don't do anything like that. Oh, my gosh. You keep it solid. You throw it in water. You don't want it to get too soft because you don't want to break that brick. But what you do is you take this ramen brick. You throw it in the water for like 10, 15 seconds. You flip it on the other side. You put it back on your on your bread with some mayo. You crack an egg over that bitch. And then you just munch. Oh, that sounds so bad. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit of that sauce packet, you know? <coughs> no. Oh, no. Yeah. I can't I, I I don't want to think about that anymore. Cause I might throw up. I might dry heave. Because I don't like mayo. Anything's good when you got the munchies. I mean, <laughs> And that would be especially good. Listen to your kids. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Did you see that video of the guy who had a broken sink and he used a ramen noodle brick? He basically put it in this crack and molded it to size and then painted over it. And it, you can't even tell it's <laughs> it's ramen. That <laughs> start to smell a little grainy after some time. Somebody just runs the hot water. It just just falls out. I think he put something over top of it, though, to help 
Help it keep help it seal it in. Yeah. 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 Help hold it in place. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Well, so what's, uh, what's next in life for, for you? What's on the horizon? Well, I'm going to be relocating soon. Yeah. Um, working until I get done with school and then it's all therapy from there. It's all be working with, with clients. And hopefully, like I said, I want to get in on that where I'd be treating people with, with PTSD, this new therapy coming out with MDMA and, and whatever's on the horizon as far as psychedelic therapies. One thing in particular that um, is outside of, of that, I don't think it's really going to be in the research anytime soon, but has been especially helpful for me um, has been ayahuasca or, or DMT. Yeah. And um, that, that's just an experience that it's completely outside of description. And anything that somebody tries to say about it is, it it falls short. I'll just say. Yeah. But it's um, it's, it's like you need to experience it itself. Like it, it's hard to chalk it up with Absolutely. verbal. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's it's hard to even say. Um, or or to pin it down, and I I wouldn't want to, right? I mean, you kind of just gotta let it speak for itself. But for me, in in my situation and dealing with some personal traumas and things like that, it's been the most therapeutic thing I've ever gone through. Yeah. And sure enough, along the way, it is going to, most likely, it's going to make you throw up, and that sounds terrible. But as soon as it happened for me, I just felt this overwhelming feeling of all the all the feeling, all the everything that I had blocked including love for for years and years and years was released and it just felt like a cascade of just feeling coming over me as soon as they were able to do what they needed to do it was a guided session with a shaman and everything like that um it did what it needed to do in order to free up that block in me and have me live a more integrated life i think that's the difference for people, I, I think that's what separates the people who use psychedelics for therapeutic reasons and then the people who just want to, like, see dragons and shit pop out of their walls. It's because the, a lot of people have prepared and they've taken the proper steps to make sure it's a meaningful experience. Like, I've talked to people before who have fasted. Mm-hmm. They take personal inventory about things that they need to address and a lot of them, it has pushed them to the point where they can fully address the things that are holding them back and has helped been the catalyst for meaningful change in their life. Absolutely. And it takes the form, really, of, of whatever you need it to. So, for instance, I know there was a woman in our group that, that had struggled with her children and childbirth and a lot of things there. And she went through what seemed like an experience of giving birth to each one of her children over again in this completely foreign alien world of, of fractals and shapes and uh, communicating entities. And she was able to re-experience that so that she could have more love for each of her children. Um, and it's, it's different for everybody because we all have different life experience. So not to put on my conspiracy theorist hat. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Alex. Let's Jones. go there. The DMT. The DMT. Right. So we talked about it earlier with the pushback that comes from these institutions, but it's not just governments. It's also religious 
institutions Certainly. as well. Like the Catholics aren't like, yeah, dude, drop acid and <laughs> your testimony of Jesus will go stronger. Like, do you think the religious realm discourages people from using drugs because it might cause them to question their beliefs? Certainly. I would say that the, the psychedelic realm causes people to question their religion. And so there is reason for pushback. There was actually a push, I think, in like the 70s or something with all these Johnny Appleseeds to try to get everybody to drop acid or whatever, yeah. that, where they would send this out actually to religious leaders all over the world, right? And who knows who took it? Who knows who flushed it down the toilet? But that's already happened. They've, they've That invitation has already been out there. You know what I mean? And um, it, we have a lot of entrenched powers. And I think that something like this starts to undermine all of those institutions, whether it's political, whether it's religious, because even if we have religious um, explanations for how things go, how things um, happen, right? Let's just say um, we have our understanding of, of Moses and the burning bush or whatever, right? Right. There might be an alternative explanation that if you were there, say, with Moses or, or whatever situation, maybe there was more to that story that he wasn't able to chisel down onto those onto those tablets. Yeah. So I think religion does often does a job of, of trying to communicate good, trying to do that. Obviously there's corruption, there's problems, there's, there's things that go on, but there is also conflict there. And for obvious reason that it could undermine the power and authority of, of current institutions as they are. Yeah. I think I don't, I, well, things like ayahuasca, Mm-hmm. It's a, from what I understand, it's a root that you take, correct? It's a combination of two plants, right? So you have um, Psychotria vidrius, which mm-hmm. is known as Chacruna. Um, and then there is the actual ayahuasca bark, which uh-huh. is the capy vine. And when you mix those things, you combine it into a tea and brew it together and do what you need to do. They, they create this magical brew, right? This, this thing that... <laughs> That happened just by happenstance because those two things don't grow together in the wild. This is something that that these ancient uh, shamans just threw together through their knowledge of plants. um, And somehow they were able to combine it and create one of the most powerful psychedelic compounds. And they've used it religiously for centuries, millennia. And that's the point that I am kind of going towards is this isn't something that just popped up and they're like, wait, drug drugs harm people's brains or like this stuff's been around. And mm-hmm. these were ways that people have used. I'm not savvy about the history of these things, but like ayahuasca, these are naturally occurring substances. Like these are things that you can find out in nature. Marijuana is something you can find out in nature. Mm-hmm. Psilocybin mushrooms out in nature, right? Yeah, I mean, we these are things that have been around for so long. And in those communities where where ayahuasca is used, let's just say in a in a legitimate way, it's not referred to ever as a drug. It's referred to as a plant medicine. Yeah. It's used as a plant medicine along I mean, they even have a process of of tobacco that is very very different than how people use it today. Well, it's a remedy. Absolutely. Well, and it's just like how we have shit that makes your dick hard for four hours. Like, like it's it, it's a remedy. A lot of these drugs, they're used properly, can be remedies for problems that you have, like mm-hmm. addressing 
trauma, help freeing up your mind to help confront these things, like these mental barriers that we have on ourselves. Absolutely. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I just find it suspicious that these things have been around for so long. And when we're in school, we're not taught about in depth about how these cultures used these natural, how they use these things. Like they talk about medicine, medicine men or medicine women or people like that or shamans. And pain them is just these witch doctors, right? Totally. It's meant as more dancing of a, around, hooping and hollering. It's and, like a supernatural thing. And then we downplay them too. Cause they're like, well, they lived like savages and were killed. Like, so don't, don't pay attention to what they said. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it gets back to the roots, back to nature and a, and a natural way of living. Certainly we've made progress in the West and, and all across the globe. Um, to create a world where there's technology, where there's things that have been provided by this way of life, right? There's an older way of life, and there is something to that. It is so, not just savagery. So here's the next thing, because I, I feel like we've bounced around a couple times, but more stuff keeps coming up. It's my ADHD. <laughs> it's my ADHD. Um, so we have alcohol. Alcohol is horribly abused in our country. Mm-hmm. Straight Absolutely. Up. And we have thousands of people who are killed each year, be it alcoholism, um, 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 uh, drunken driving, drink, drinking and driving. And even domestic violence has increased with alcohol. Yeah, domestic disputes. So what measures would we have in place to make sure that these substances wouldn't have such adverse effects? Which one are we talking about? Alcohol or or anything? It could be anything. I mean, because alcohol is a drug. Certainly. So what what measures would we have in place to make sure it doesn't go off the rails like like alcohol? I mean, because anybody can buy alcohol. I can go anywhere. Anybody over 21 can go buy alcohol, drink themselves to death if they want to. And it's relatively, I wouldn't say it's easy, but you have enough liquor in your system, you're going to die from it Mm -hmm. or it's going to cause you to do really stupid stuff. You know, the classic thing, well, I was drunk. I didn't mean what I said. Like if we get to a point, because I think you and I are on the same page that we want drugs. We want these things that have been, you know, given this unfair label of, you know, or the boogeyman effect of don't take acid. It's like taking a scoop out of your brain. You know, like they say in weeds, you know, like it's a nice PSD. That's a nice PSA. But we do have idiots who abuse any type of drug that comes through. Or I mean, there are stoners. There are people who just smoke ungodly amounts of marijuana and they're completely unproductive, you know? Yeah. So what, what safety measures do we have in place to make sure people aren't going off the deep end with these things? For sure. Um, well, it's going to vary by substance, right? Yeah. So with alcohol, there's there's a very heavy abuse potential. There's a very high addiction potential for alcohol. Right. And for opiates and for those things. They are the traditional drugs of abuse that carry a very high abuse potential. There are other drugs that kind of toe the line there, right? You've got things like ketamine, things like MDMA, and then you have things with low abuse potential, right? Things like psilocybin and for instance, when animals take something like that, when they've tested on animals, they don't take it again, right? Mm. It doesn't have that same biological drive. Because it sounds like people don't get hooked on shrooms. 
uh, by and large, I mean, there, there may be cases where people are reliant on it, but it's not an experience that, that people just want to repeat over and over and over unless they're microdosing. And if they're microdosing, it's a whole different story. It just um, creates creative thinking. I mean, it's all over Silicon Valley right now for a reason. Yeah. You know, it, it has its utility. Well, they can like function. I, 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 people are functioning with, I mean, we herald a lot of these artists that have been around and what would they be like without drugs? Certainly. You know, like. Certainly. Increases our music would be so plain Jane, it'd mm-hmm. be ridiculous. But I, I don't want to avoid the question either. Like what what safety measures would be in place? I think, honestly, there, there has to be a culture rebuilt around these things. And it can't be a culture of, purely just the free love hippie stuff do what you want kind of thing in whatever setting in whatever context you want it um, and I don't want to be a tyrant about it either because you know people have their free will people should do things that they want but it's it's just as if you were to go into um, let's just say you want to go rock climbing or or scuba diving right there's rules there's protocols there's things you need to know if you're going to do one of those activities or another right and if you ignore those things, you can put yourself in harm. You should always know what you're going into unless you're just like completely reckless. Right? Yeah. There are risks with anything. Mostly with, with that class of things. With psychedelics, it's mostly the risk is psychological trauma because that can happen. Yeah. You know, one out of 10 times will be a trip to hell on, on psilocybin, right? Yeah. That's primarily the only risk. As far as physical risk or anything like that, I mean, obviously, don't be a dumbass. Don't go out and drive. While you're high on mushrooms. Yeah. Or anything else. Do you think the... So let's just say if the government takes this movement to decriminalize these drugs, do you mm-hmm. think that they would invest ample dollars in marketing and advertisements to say, don't be... Uh, I don't know that PSAs work. It would have to be more more, um, more grassroots. It would have to be something like, for example, ayahuasca has a very long, very rich history of people who practice it um, with shamanic traditions. Mm -hmm. And it's been reintroduced even as a form of religion with some First Amendment protections, even in the United States and other countries. Interesting. And so with these these ayahuasca churches, with these things that, that embrace this tradition, they do it in a way where all of those safety concerns are mitigated, you know, to, to the extent possible. I mean, obviously there's nothing you can do if you're in the midst of a bad trip, but you have all of that there. That's a great point because I talked about this last week when I did my my solo performance, when I just recorded by myself. Mm. Got on this topic of school shootings and how we're looking at the federal government to solve problems that are coming with these shootings and there's nothing being done. I think it's on us to solve it. I think it's on communities to solve it. I think... That would be kind of like what you mentioned in the ayahuasca community. It sounds like you have shaman. You have people that guide people through responsible use and help point them in the right direction. Communities would have to step up and say, you know, a transmission of good, solid information in households, institutions, communities. It would have to take place there because the more and more we go through life, the more I see it that we just can't rely on the federal government to do everything for us. Certainly not. So I think that's a great point that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think I think good communities would sprout uh, from these things. Now I I hope and pray we wouldn't have like meth shamans. 
<laughs> bath salts. Can you imagine? Freaking crackhead looking. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's it's just <laughs> crack, crack, crackhead shamans. <laughs> I couldn't hey, see that happening. Make, right? make sure you can be careful with that rock. <laughs> Make sure you share some with me too. Yeah, I think that's going to be more specific to the plant medicines. And even something like LSD, you're not going to have that, right? You're not going to have that with MDMA either. That might take a more psychological approach. You know, if it if LSD ever comes back as a therapy, which yeah. it very well could not. Um, Not to kind of bounce around on mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, yeah. but another thing that we talked about, because I think the point of why we've talked about these drugs and the movement that's coming through is that it helps improve quality of life for people. So another, another thing that's been huge all over the news, minimum wage or UBI. So, and with, all with the means of helping improving lives of people who live off a minimum wage or what a UBI could do to help improve quality of life. What are, what's your two cents? Mm. Well, it's, it's a tricky widget like most things in politics, I think, because <laughs> I mean, on the one side, it's just a new government program, you know, and, and perhaps it would increase spending. It would, it would do a lot of things um, that would give people $1,000 a month. It would be a radical restructuring of our economy in a way. Um, however, it can be argued, and it has been argued by anarcho-capitalists, Murray Rothbard in the past. He's, he's argued for a UBI, Universal Basic Income. Um, in the past, in that it would replace the current structure and the way things are going. And so the way that it's been presented, say, with with Andrew Yang, is somewhat in line with that, where it would be an opt-in thing. Maybe you're opting out of all the other government programs and services and everything like that. You'll get your thousand bucks a month. Hey, maybe that is going to free you up to have more creativity. It also might make you drop out of life, um, just become a homeless person, not homeless because you'd have a thousand bucks a month, but it, it would, it would make it so that you are not a productive uh, contributor to society. If, if you're, if you're content to live on that thousand dollars a month, you very well could drop out and just do it. And that's a risk. Well, some people, cause are, that doesn't increase happiness well, in so, well, or fulfillment y- or purpose. Right. There are people who legitimately do not care about money. Like it's just a means to an end, but there's more fulfilling things. So if they had their thousand dollars a month that could cover rent and they don't drive a car because they don't they don't want it or something like that, or they don't need it for their work, or if they just flat out don't have to work because they're getting a thousand dollars a month, like mm-hmm. it would free them up to do more things. Some for some people it frees them up to do more things, and then they got to struggle against what am I going to do with my life. But for other people, I do worry about it, and that it could just be a a tool to be used to enable their own self destruction. So. Here's my thoughts on it. And I'm not an economics major. I actually did really shitty in that class in high school. No, I didn't do terrible on it. I got like a B in it or something. But here's my problem with what we've seen. So like Andrew Yang talked about Alaska and how they've been doing it for 37 years and how it's a dividend from the oil industry. The problem the problem that I see from it is it's still somebody saying that we're taking this money from the oil industry and we're giving it back to the people. Like the people right. were, oh, which is theft. Let's get real about it. It's theft. The problem is anytime you're manipulating a market in any way, shape or form, it comes back to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So like if we take like, so we talked about this not too long ago, we had to do a project about renewable energy 
And we had to argue that it's a, it's not helping the economy as much as what people claim. And one of the problems behind it is when you look at these people forcing companies to go green or to do cap and trade or things of that nature, the consumer is the one that gets like, we're the one that, that has to foot the bill for it because the the companies, let's say a company's forced to make a more green product. Well, they have to pay for the research behind it. Then they have to pay to change up their manufacturing behind it, their marketing, all those things. Those are all costs that they have to do. And a business isn't just going to be like, yeah, screw our profits. It's okay. We'll take less money. Oh like, yeah. We'll just eat those costs. Yeah. Like no. Screw be, our shareholders. And, and, and yeah, if you're a business, your goal is to make more money. Absolutely. Like that's, there's no, there's no point if you're not making money behind mm-hmm. it and you want your profits to grow and shareholders don't like seeing less profits. Sure. You can have some altruistic people who say, well, that's so cool what you're doing with the environment. And even though you're getting less money behind it, I love it that you're having a huge impact on the environment. But let's just be real here. That's not what people think. People are looking at dollars. They want to see how much, like if my stock is going up in a company, if they posted record profits, their stocks go up. Great. Good for me. But if they're not making as much money, I don't, I don't want that. That's not profitable. Right. So these businesses have to adjust accordingly. So that goes into your cost of goods sold, and that ultimately goes into your price. So then consumers have to pay more for the product. Hmm. So I don't, I'm not entirely sold when, when people like Andrew Yang say we're going we're gonna to tax the tech industries because they reserve every right if they're taxed they reserve the right to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, to account for this, for this taxing, we have to raise our prices and then we're going to have to pay more. So yes, we have more money in our pockets, but we're paying more for our products now. And it's just, it seems like it almost cancels out in a sense. Sure. The other thing that's moving numbers around to make it look like it's right. It's it's the the appearance of growth when it's not, that's actually called fraud. Like, uh, (laughs) you know, Enron, does that ring any bells? Yeah. That, that rings a lot of bells. It seems like fraud. The other thing that I find alarming is his comparison of, well, if I go to this restaurant and I see that the cheeseburger costs $3 more than it did before, I'm going to go across town and see that they haven't changed their prices. I'm only going to eat there. Then the other business says, oh, well, I, I, I can't boost my numbers up now, so I have to drive it back down. Well, if every company goes to the boardroom and they say, all of our consumers now have an extra $1,000, what can we justify that they, how much more of that $1,000 of their expendable income would they spend on this product that that's going to happen in every single market. If, if we have a UBI coming out, certainly everybody will do that. So how are like, how are these, these companies are going to spend money or these marketers are going to pull people. They're going to say, well, now that you have an extra thousand dollars a month, how much do you think, how much value do you think this product holds? Are you going to, are you willing to pay five more dollars a month for your laundry detergent or things of that nature? And they're, they're going to nickel and dime us. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's horribly, optimistic. I think it's way too optimistic to say that companies aren't going to raise their costs. Certainly. Isn't that a price floor too? giving everybody a thousand dollars a month? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, and it's not bad that we raise our prices. I don't think that's a problem, but I think that's going to create a lot more problems between, I think that's going to grow that disparity between rich and poor. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're an evolutionary species and whatever legislation we enact, people are going to find ways around it. Because life, uh, 
uh, uh, finds a way, right? So people are going to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. They're they're going to work around what whatever we throw in their way, and it's just going to misshape the economy. I mean, that's what happens when we when we have central planners, right? They're just going to throw some stone in the in the path and say this is law. Everybody work around it. Some people are going to work their way right through it and break the law. Some people are going to work around it. it. It it's yeah, it's going to it's going to to shape whatever's going on. But at the behavior. end of the day, I mean, are are we really going to do anything ever that's going to radically restructure and take, you know, make it so the 1% are no longer the 1%? Well, and the the UBI I, I don't think so. Well, and what's the point of the UBI, the universal basic income? Well, he claims that it's to help protect us against automation. But I don't work in a field that's necess- entirely automated, or some other people don't do that. So why should they be forced to partake in a system that doesn't affect them entirely? Well, I mean, if if it is a massive problem, and and let's just say that you know, for the sake of argument, that that is going to be the problem of the future, that you're going to lay off millions of retail workers, truck drivers, all these different industries that that that's going to affect you're going to have massive layoffs. And so even if it doesn't de- affect you directly in your career, um, you are going to be in an economy that, that could lead to a massive depression. That's a good point. Yeah. Or recession. And, and there's just, you know, the money's not going to be all there. So, let, so let's say figuratively, let's say, okay, so I, I'm a factory worker. Mm-hmm. My jobs are automated. Okay, what do I do now? Um a lot of times because people have put all their eggs in that basket that I'm going to work in this factory, their job skills are limited. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's what they said insensitively to those uh, leftist journalists that got laid off, right? Learn to code. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. All the Huffington Post people that got laid off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Huffington Post opinion writers? Yeah. They, they, they laid off thousands of people. I think it was like 2,000 people they laid off. Yeah. And then... Learn to code, right? Yeah. Yeah, that raised a lot of a lot of issues, huh? <laughs> but I mean, that's what you get when you say that to uh, to coal miners. Get it thrown right back in your face when you get laid off for for being a worthless opinionist. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't feel too good, huh? Uh, Isn't that a sign too that like people don't give a shit a about bitch. Huffington Post? Like they have been proven so many times to just have not even have a shred of integrity when they report things. <laughs> Like you rewind fifty years ago, put the, put Huffington Post around fifty years ago. They don't report. Pff, nobody's gonna pick up their stories. Mm. Nobody corroborates their stuff. Like they post they post articles that literally don't have sources. Yeah, and the same things happening in academia. All that people have to do is say that their piece is a critical piece, and you know the average number of references on the back of a critical. Critical piece is zero. Well, and it's not even Huffington Post too. Like CNN, uh, it's, it's how a, many times has CNN yeah. been busted over this stuff? Where they've been? Compl- I loved the picture of Florida where they showed Anderson Cooper may like in a puddle, and they're like, "Why are you in this puddle? Like, there's plenty of dry ground over here." <laughs> okay, guys, this needs to be a dramatic shot. <laughs> we need to make it sh- look like Anderson is suffering. <laughs> How can we bring his gay identity into this? <laughs> yeah, how can we bring this back around? Well, and Fox does. Gay this man thing. stands in puddle. Fox and sobs. <laughs> Fox does the same thing. How many times has Fox 
gone off the rails with freaking Sean Hannity. <laughs> Just I want to tell you now, you're a great American. <laughs> like how pandery can you get? Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. But people I, eat that shit up, man. We're programmed. I think, <laughs> I think one of the base problems that we have in the country now, I think a lot of the changes that we have come with the education system. Because our parents weren't worrying about standardized testing. Like that wasn't the highlight of their curriculum. Another reason why I think George Bush was one of the worst presidents we've ever had because he put No Child Left Behind in, which made every state freak out about making sure they could get their funding if they weren't passing these these testing things. <laughs> Just I, another reason Georgie, Patriot Act. I remember taking the standardized test for No Child Left Behind and we asked our teacher, like, he's like, okay, you're not graded on this. And so it's like, well, what happens if we fail it? Well, just don't do that, okay? I mean, our school district <laughs> won't get any money. Like, I, I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest problems we have is that people are not being prepped in these education systems for meaningful skills. Um, people don't learn skills in school anymore. K through twelve, associates, bachelors, masters. It's college. People prep. can get all the way through a doctorate and not know their head from a hole in the ground. They really can. Yeah. They'll know a whole lot about lesbian dance theory and have absolutely no application for anything. No marketable skill that they can that they can do in the real world. Yeah, and we've got a lot of manual labor jobs that are people are begging people to be to fill them and they provide decent money. Mm-hmm. But it's the stigma that a lot of our parents are like, I don't want you to live how I lived or I want you to go to college and make something better of yourself than what we lived as. Not saying all parents are saying that, but that's something that you hear a lot of times. The markets are changing, you know? Like, if I could do it all over again, I mean, I'm almost I'm almost done with my master's degree. Yeah. Honestly, if I could have done it over again, I don't want to live this starving student life. Yeah. it's It's not that fun, but... If I could have done it over again, man, I would have gone directly into a trade school, get like six months under my belt, maybe be like trucking, just get something going. Yeah. And as you're doing that, man, go ahead and progress yourself, right? Right. But you got to start with something that's that's practical, that's man- that's manageable. You're not going to go out with no job experience and get hired on as as a senator or as a CEO or anything like that. That to do that would just be it it's it's just arrogance and action right to think that okay as soon as i get this piece of paper that's going to launch me into this career so it's just so, not the way it works so in my recollection of my education growing up oh. preface i had a fantastic school that i went to great teachers i learned a lot from them but when i when i think back on a lot of those classes where a career was up like that was just a project, but it was not the majority of our grade. It meant more for us to pass our chapter, get our tests done and all that stuff than focus on these career things. When in reality, it should be the other way around. Your career should be the number one thing that you should think about. And we should have been pushed in that route. Like we should have kids knowing something that they want to do by the time they're freshmen in high school. Quite honestly, I think that's where it should be. You should take 
like elementary school, maybe middle school to teach core things like not common core, but like mathematics is important no matter where you're going to go. English is going to be important no matter what field you're in because that's basic communication. But after that point, some things just aren't as important as others for other people. Mm-hmm. So what if instead of focusing on diplomas, we focused on certifications? So that's a bigger thing that somebody gets certified and that's more meaningful that they take it to a job. That would be a beautiful thing. Like if I want to be a mechanic and I go to an employer with a diploma or I go with a certification, they want to hire the guy with the certification because it's better suited for the work field or for their workforce. Certainly. I don't know why we haven't shifted that focus that way. And I think that's why we're having the struggle now with people who are living on minimum wage because they're thrown out into the world without any job skills and they get stuck at these jobs that are dead ends and they haven't developed any work skills Mm -hmm. that are going to go to another area. Now, sure. You could argue that if somebody's really passionate about something, they'll do it on their own. I get that. But the vast majority of people need to be pushed in some way, shape or form. We, the sheeple. Sure. You know, well, you know, if we're living too comfortable a life, let's just say, you know, UBI kicks in. We may not have that push. We may not have that hunger. It may just uh, create more stagnation and more just going along with a life that is subpar. I mean, if if we really ever let's let's just say that you know the one percent is a legitimate problem, and who knows, you know, maybe they're all, maybe they are, maybe all these they can different be. government um, complexes, military, education, all of these like vast empires of wealth. Where people have accumulated just obscene amounts of money and joined the ranks of the 1% and and are trying to keep that status quo in place. Let's just assume that that really is a problem. Are we going to make a bigger difference by playing their game? By going in through their route of going and getting an education that really doesn't teach you jack shit? Or by going and getting our hands dirty with trade school? starting to make something of ourselves in the economy by doing, not just learning, and, and, you know, advancing ourselves in the world at a younger age. Yeah. We're falling behind. I mean, there are certain countries that will do aptitude tests for kids at a very early age, kind of like you were suggesting. You know, we want people to know what they want to do by their freshman year of high school, right? Yeah. And in a lot of these countries, they'll force people into careers. Right? Maybe that's not the best move. <coughs> China. <laughs> exactly. But to let people know what options they have, what their skills are, what they would be best suited for. You know? And and yeah, and we be may, a part of curriculum. Right. And so we equate kids to being stupid. <clears throat> I've got a lot of friends who I would consider very smart, but they don't because their grades sucked in school. Mm-hmm or things of that nature, and they're constantly told that they're dumb. It's kind of like that Dr. Seuss quote where if you tell a fish it can't fly, it's going to think it's stupid. When in reality, it's meant to swim, you know? Absolutely. That's what we get. So it, it, your competitive ranking in classes, what's your GPA? How are you doing on all these classes towards getting a degree, which is meant for college prep or, or a, a, a diploma? A lot of these kids think they're stupid because they get – C's, B's, and whatnot in history classes that aren't going to matter to them mm-hmm. when they're getting older. And so we get kids who who are conditioned to think that they're not as important, they're not good enough for these things, when in reality they have the world of potential yeah. at their fingertips. Um, this carries over into, 
I don't want to sound racist, but one huge problem that we have, this is a real problem that we have, is in a lot of minority neighborhoods and communities and things like that, their schools are suffering. Their schools do not do well. I mean, it comes back to the point of the standardized testing. They don't do well in these things, so they don't get state funding, so they don't get good facilities, so they don't want to be there even more. It's just a chore, and then they drop out. And that's a huge problem in minority communities where people aren't getting their diplomas, so they have literally nothing to go off of. Literally nothing. How in the hell are are we going to name a program No Child Left Behind and then say that the schools that are struggling the very most, we're just going to take funding away from them because they didn't meet our standard? It doesn't make any sense. No. When in reality, it should be the other way around, that they need the most funding and we need to help them out with... Mm -hmm. Providing good facilities, uh, proper resources, um, you know, good teachers, and then hopefully it could be viewed as a good place for them to go instead of a lot of times they'll come from crappy homes and things of that nature. But that is something that we need. That I I think the edge fixing the education system would affect. Like I I think that would be a more direct route to fixing the living. You know, we we talk about the rising cost of education. Um, homes, cars, these, all these costs are going up and it feels like wages aren't matching them. It it feels like millennials are getting their asses kicked. And it, 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 like there is some weight to that argument. Like, yes, people are being stuck, but I think it's because they feel like they don't have any resources to fight that change. Mm-hmm. But if you hate your job and it doesn't pay you enough, the simple adage of just finding another one, sometimes it's not as easy as what you think. Like mm-hmm. it's very difficult. Like I've, I've tried to go and find other sales jobs that are, you know, that pay more, um, that have a higher earning potential. And it's difficult. I haven't like, I haven't landed any because I like, I think I'm qualified on paper and I get on these interviews and I think I do well, but I'm passed up a lot of times and I, I, it's comfortable for me to say that I haven't invested in all the skills necessary or if I didn't want to work in sales, the other thing that I feel half the time was like the, the most, I think like suffocating feeling is that I've put all my eggs in the sales basket and I feel like I have no other transferable job skills. Mm-hmm. That's a very real thing. And yeah, that's on me to an extent. Like, yeah, I should have. I should have invested in other things. Like if I find, I don't know, X, Y, or Z better, or I'm su- I feel more satisfaction out of performing a certain job that I do it. But the, like I said, the, like I didn't have any pressure to find a career or anything like that. And, you know, even when I graduated, like you'll figure it out, just go to college and get a degree and things will be fine. It's like, it's, it's not fine. No, no, it's not. I, still don't feel any fulfillment from what I'm doing. Right. So, yeah, eat well, a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to fully discount education altogether. I mean, it is a big feat right. to go through school, get all the way through K-12, and then continue on with an education. That's a major feat. But if at the end of that, all that you are able to do, not suggesting you, obviously, but... All that anybody is able to do in that circumstance is to repeat that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That doesn't translate into dollars. No, it doesn't. Not at all. Unless I'm a scientist. Well, sure. But then even the scientist isn't going to be parroting that line. They're going to understand what the mitochondria does. Right. You know, and they're going to be working to, to do things. You know, this is why I love to listen to people 
Gary Vaynerchuk, Joe Rogan, people who can light a fire under your ass, maybe use some colorful language, jump inside your head and try to motivate you to not just think, but to do, to get out to do stuff, to take that course, right, that that um, you've been putting off. You know, maybe join a gym, maybe join um, a martial arts group, maybe learn that instrument that you've been that you've been trying to do it to to find whatever meaning there is, and not just work this stupid nine to five that just sucks the soul out of you, yeah. right? Because people they are they're they're going to soon drop out of that, and whether that's due to a UBI or whether it's due to a UTI, I'm just putting that on. <laughs> UBI, UTI, whatever it be. Yeah. <laughs> Some people lose their jobs to UBIs. <laughs> Some others to UTIs. Yeah, down at the Bunny Ranch, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You go down <laughs> to a broth. Where is that? That's in like Southern... What is it, like Reno or something? Yeah, it's in Reno, yeah. Yeah, because prostitution is legal. But yeah, they'll they'll lose their job to a UTI. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a huge point. I think... The disillusionment that we find ourselves in right now because a lot of people are getting degrees with suffocating amounts of student debt and they're mm-hmm. like, I'm not fulfilled and they work for 10 years. I'm still not fulfilled because my student loans haven't been paid off. Um, I watched a Vice special last night about a kid who decided to smuggle cocaine into the country to help pay for his student loans and he got caught because he body bagged it. Mm. He swallowed, I guess... The way that he did it is he put the cocaine in, I guess you take latex gloves, you put the cocaine in, you put it in each finger, cut it off, tie it up, put some hot glue on the end to seal it up, and then you swallow it. But the dumbass swallowed like 48 bags of cocaine (laughs) and it went into like a 10-day coma and ended up doing, I think he went did like a year or two in prison for it, but yeah. Prohibition's nasty, man. (laughs) <laughs> it's like not only do you do you not know what your stuff is that you're getting, but you don't know if it came out of some guy's asshole. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the problem. Ass crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but that's the problem with with making any type of thing illegal. It's kind of, it's kind of like what we talked about with abortions earlier, or drugs, or immig- like like making an unfavorable thing illegal doesn't curb it it doesn't get rid of it Mm -mm. a lot of times it just makes the issue worse yeah like like we talked about before those countries that have decriminalized drugs like sure you're gonna like if this person's determined to do drugs they're gonna find them whether they want them or not but we give them clean heroin clean needles and we have a good support system where if they're like all right i'm done i need to stop can you help me like we have people there at the ready to help get them off of it and figure out maybe the reason why they were doing the heroin is to cover something else up that needed to be addressed almost invariably that's how addiction starts right and so that's what we need to go to instead of just making everything illegal that we don't like that's it doesn't it doesn't solve these issues it really doesn't right but I, I think that's, you know, backtracking from vice and drugs and these things but like 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 crippling student loan debt, like people can't go to sleep at night because they can't figure out when the, they have this looming cloud of 
well, I, I was told that I was going to be rich and successful if I got a degree, but it cost me, uh, you know, it's costing me a lot of stress and I, I, I don't know. We're, we're kind of stuck in this rut now to where I think if people had better job skills or they had a better understanding of what the workforce is wanting, I think we could avoid these issues. I don't think just a slapping label. Well, let's make, let's just make sure poorer people get more. Let's make the poorer people get more money. Mm-hmm. That affects everybody because we have to pay more taxes for it. And then businesses who use minimum wage workers or around minimum wage, they have to pay more. And then we, once again, the consumer foots the bill for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I think it's just a lazy approach to say like let's hand out more money. I think there's other things that we need to fix. Yeah. Let's just promote people to find better job skills younger and early on and get a career plan and understand they have a way out if things don't work out or not to put all their eggs in one basket. You know, I th- I think that would go a long way, but but we build up the the illusion of safety. Yeah, with a lot of these things when that's we have That's a really comfort. good point. That's a really good point. And a bit of a segue here, and I, I hope to get back to it, right? Yeah. But this is another thing that, going back to what I discussed with, with ayahuasca. Yeah. What it can feel like sometimes, right? Because we are always, I know I always have had my face in some screen, in, in my phone, in a TV screen, in, in something that's going on, right? And life can honestly start to feel like a program. Especially if you have all these comforts and all these things in place, right? It begins to be not real. It begins to be this this game where there's no real consequences for failure. And so, one thing that ayahuasca did is it it it's kind of like you're sitting in a movie theater of your life. Yeah. Somebody taps you on the shoulder and reminds you, dude, you're in a theater. You're playing a game. It's literally like waking up outside of the matrix, <laughs> right? And you recognize what you are, and what you are is a biological creature. You're an animal just like any other that has this whole history of evolution and all these drives that are not being met. You are not sharpening your teeth out in the wild by, by hunting this jaguar. And there's great fulfillment to be found in that kind of a pursuit. So whatever it is, however we're able to readjust this urban jungle to make something of our lives... That's what needs to be done. You need to become this competent king of your own domain. And maybe that means you you never move out of this rural little town, but you make something of yourself there. You make right. a name for yourself, not only a name for yourself, but you, you find purpose, you find fulfillment in whatever it is that you're doing. And you can affect the lives of others. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Bring people. I mean, once you have success, dude, like share that. The illusion of safety that I really, it's a really good point. Because I think that's what we want. I think we mistakenly want comfort too much to stay in the comfort zone. But there's no growth in the comfort zone. Of course we want comfort. And we stagnate. Yeah. You know, but there's no pain, no gain, right? No pain, no gain. That's a, that's a really good point. <laughs> I think that's a really good thing to understand that, like, we have to take risks. And we have to understand that, like, life's not always going to be comfortable. It requires work. It requires you to do things that you probably won't like. Sometimes people do need a break in order to survive. And maybe that's what Yang is trying to shore up with this UBI thing, right? But UBI itself is not going to encourage people to be creative. It's just going to free them up to see how much they hate their lives. 
because they're not doing anything yeah. with it. Except for working some dead ass job that they hate. Or do, or maybe is it like a gain? So maybe we'll have, let's just say 60% of the population uses that extra thousand dollars to go and learn other trades or skills or, or arts or things of that nature. If they do, maybe they don't that, just inject it right into their arm. Maybe that's what we're looking for. Not 100% success, but maybe just majority of people get yeah. up and do that. But I honestly think that would solve the living wage. Because isn't that what they also equate UBI to is living wage? Yeah, absolutely. And as long as it cuts out the other government bureaucracy bullshit you know we have a bloated system with so much pork i think that's the other problem that we come down to is we are so content with the state of bureaucracy bureaus shouldn't be this powerful because a lot of them are run by people who aren't appoint they're appointed individuals they're not elected so we the people literally have had no we've had an indirect impact on how that person got there. But those people are making very important decisions mm-hmm. that affect everybody in the country. Yeah. And I get it. I know like advocates for big government and bureaucrats and things like that say, well, just call your congressman. And those people are held in check by congressional committees. Like, no, they aren't because how many congressional committees are there? And if like, how many have we had televised and it's literally just grandstanding? Yeah. Dude, the Zuckerberg, the Zuckerberg um, trial is one of the funniest things ever. When those senators are like, "So, so on a, a Facebook app, uh, it, it, it's so what is it? What what is Facebook? How is it, sir, that you are able to make money off of a company that does not run advertisements? <laughs> we do run advertisements, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he said we run ads, Senator. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Freaking Zuckerberg, the bot. That's an interesting dude. We've got a bunch of asshats running the country. And I think it's not... I think it's... I don't expect people like that to on the spot have the best ideas. It's the fact that they have so many resources at their disposal to be prepared for those situations. And they just have this this hubris that it does not matter because they can say a few fancy words or they got a law degree or something and they just stroll into Congress and just think that they can pull this crap off. Like those people are given hundreds of thousands of dollars to hire people, to travel to places, to do all these things, to sharpen up their points of view. And they look like bumbling morons half the time. I find it astounding. I think that's what pisses me off more than anything. Because I think it's okay for somebody to be like, I don't have a solution for this right now. I need to go back to the drawing board. And they have AIDS. (laughs) 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 We'll take it out of context. Like They have HIV. (laughs) But they have people. They have staffers and people to do all the research for them or to read these 4,000-page bills. And they don't have them do it. Like, I... That's what makes me more furious than any. I like, and then you have assets in Alabama that are like, I don't care if it was incest, she's having that baby. Like, well, it's become the job of politicians to not know what they're voting for, but to know how it's going to pull when they vote for it. 
Yeah. And not only that, they don't need to know what's in the bill. They don't. They need to know how they can best pander that information to their constituency. Right. And then the other problem we have, too, is we have parties. It's either right or left. Yeah. When I feel there's a very... Better toe the party line. When I feel there's a very large population of people in the country that are either middle or fringe enough to not exactly align with a party's political belief. I think we got to wake the hell up and say no more. Certainly. And you know, we've, we've really touched on a lot of things tonight dealing with the status quo, right? And shaking up the status quo of things. And you know, certainly, I mean, you've, you've heard me be a proponent of, of psychedelics as a part of that equation. Yeah. Right. To, to understand that, whatever systems of control we're under right now, it doesn't need to stay that way. And it's only through our consent um, and our tacit consent of just not knowing any better that this, these, these systems stay in place. Yeah. So maybe the solution really is to turn on, tune in and drop out. I, I, I don't know. I think it is to an extent. I mean, <laughs> you can't change the process if you just want to continuously live in the same process. Right. You know, I don't know. There's one other thing I want to talk about tonight. Man, this has gone by really quick. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's the other thing, too. I've seen a number of articles um, and new, uh, news. Um, what would you say? Not article. Yeah, articles and then also news segments about transgender lifters. <laughs> Power lifting. Huh? I don't understand how this is. I don't understand how that is such like a heavily debated topic right now. There shouldn't even be a debate to be totally honest. Like a lot of proponents for transgender lifters argue it's because they're on they're they're on hormones or so if it's a man lifting in a woman's competition, well, it's because they're they've been taking estrogen and you know, they're really not that strong, okay? Yeah, they're not they've been t- they've been on it for 7 years. It's okay. That doesn't matter because the muscles that they've already built up and the frame that they have, it's already built to be tougher than what a woman has. Absolutely. Everything from from bone density all the way through. Yeah. Men men are just made to be... Like, men are bigger than women. Like, on average, men are bigger than women. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Mm -hmm. It's not anything sexist about it. That's just the way nature has dictated it. And so when we get to these events of athletic prowess, a lot of times men are better than women at a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And it's it's just because we have stronger bodies or bigger bodies that are able to handle a bigger workload. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, it, people want to accept whatever subjective identity and just live it themselves like good on you man yeah but when it's when it's asking to be part of somebody else's thing somebody else's competition where they're trying to keep the rules fair where they're trying to keep it even and balanced you can't just take your own identity and throw that in there and and anoint yourself as some kind of a champion because you're lifting way out of your weight class way out of your gender class way out of the way i and that's the issue that we come to with a lot of these things is that we just don't accept consequences in any way, shape, or form. We do everything we can to minimize the the um, to mitigate the risk or to get rid of these negative side effects that come from what we do. So, like, I am totally a proponent for 
for transgender people to live their best life, to live in a way that they are not labeled to, you know, like, uh, like derogatory things or they live in fear of prejudice. But let's take a little example. What if LeBron James decided to go to the WNBA he would shit on all of them. Like it would dunk on their asses. It wouldn't be fair. And so what would happen from that? We would like LeBron would be labeled a misogynist. Um, it'd be like, what are you trying to prove? Women aren't as aren't, aren't as good as men. Like there'd be just a myriad of issues that would result from that. It's the same thing. If a guy goes into a woman's weight class to lift, it's the same thing. There's just a huge disparity in competition. And, and I, I think it's the adverse effect. I think it just, I don't think it brews the right sense of competition that comes with it. It's a horribly unfair advantage. Um, I also looked up a couple of the, uh, um, I, I, let's see, I think it was USPA. No, it's not USPA because it also has some international records here, but I just looked up some of the, um, like for weight class, for example. So one of these things I saw is because there was, there were a lot of news publications who targeted Joe Rogan for being alt-right because he said, that this there's a transgender guy who's fighting as a woman and is beating the shit out of women. And a lot of people are saying like, Oh no, it's okay. Do your thing. You are strong. You are powerful. You are a woman because you're taking hormones. But Joe and Joe goes as far as to say, no, you are a guy who cut off your dick and that's what you are. Even if that we, I mean, do you know in that case of Fox, right? Was her name? Yes, that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, her, that's her name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, post-op, pre-op, whoever you are, you're beating the shit out of women. Yeah, and so people are trying to say, well, they well, she fights in a weight class and she's dropped her weight. Um, so okay, let's You dropped look. your bone density? No. No. That's the problem. So let's just look at these lifters. So okay, so I have a men's raw world records open, so a squat without wraps. At 132, we have Mike Booker, who lifted 551. If we go to a woman, let's see, women's, where is it? Where's the women's? Okay, women's, women's raw world records. 132, we have Mariana Gasparian at 485. (laughs) That's a 100-pound difference. That's a hundred pound difference. Let's look at the bench press. That is ludicrous. Let's look at the bench press. You know your chest. That's yeah, it's kind of important. Uh, let's see, one thirty two. Let's see, Mariana Gasparian. No, Jennifer Thompson, one thirty two. Uh, Three hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's not gonna be that for a guy. Uh, you go, girl. Uh, let's see, a dude in bench press. One thirty two. Eric Head. 424. Ooh. It's quite a difference. <laughs> 125 pounds. That's so much. And that's just the best. That's not taking in the average. Because I guarantee that average would have a greater greater disparity. Like, I guarantee. I'd be willing to bet the ranch on that. So that's the issue. It's not about them weighing the same amount. And it's not about one person taking hormones. The fact of the matter is you've lived, you're, you've developed your whole life. So through the most developmental periods of your life as a man and enjoyed the physical benefits of being a man. And now you can't just go seven years by taking estrogen and say that doesn't matter anymore. You still have the bigger frame. You still are physically, you're still, 
as far as to say, so phys- you're you're still the physically superior. Of a man. You're still superior. Like it's not making you more. Oh, that's a dirty word. <gasps> oh no! But what's what's? So Are you the patriarchy? I am. I just think it's asinine for people to to claim that it's okay for a man to go for a transgender woman post op to to go beat up another woman. Like that that's not acceptable. Well, you know when you've reached shit your pants crazy town when you have a herd of feminist women cheering on a man beating the shit out of a woman in an organized sport. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of messed up. Yeah, so I mean, inter- I said it earlier, intersectionality eats itself. Yeah. You have these oppression Olympics where somebody wants a special advantage somewhere in the marketplace. And so they're going to jump in somewhere they do not belong, somewhere where it's not fair for them to be because everybody's rent seeking and everybody's looking for their special goodie in that marketplace. And then once they get it, once they have that little in that somebody else gave them, Right. Yeah. Let's say the UFC lets fighters in. Right. Yeah. That are fighting outside of their gender class. We're just going to see more of this happen, and we're either going to learn this through debate, discussion, the mind, or we're going to learn it through hard experience. We should have broken jaws. So this is what we should do. We should take an average let's just say an average male basketball player, put him on estrogen for i don't know two or three years and let him go to the wmba and see how he does <laughs> it's gonna rape their shit like it's not even gonna be close uh, it can even just be like sean bradley or somebody who you know isn't worth a damn yeah I, he's probably way out of the <laughs> yeah but hey pull him out of retirement let's you know? let uh i don't know barry bonds go play softball like <laughs> that's not that's not going to equate well like that's that's not going to go well Let's let I don't know. Let's let Ray Lewis go play in the lingerie football league. Like it's not. It's not going to be pretty. Wasn't it last decade only that we were just facing juicing scandals? Yeah, all over the place. Yeah, and now it transitions to this. It's like reverse juicing. Yeah, it's like dejuicing. <laughs> it's okay if you're making yourself weaker. Our athletes are all natural, not from concentrate. <laughs> I think to solve the problem, you encourage more transgender people to participate in sports, and then you make transgender divisions. Dude, tranny league. Sorry, transgender league. Transgender leagues. Yes. And in weightlifting, they have they have people who they they have like raw, so people who don't use like wraps, things of that nature, and then you have other people who do. Like that's a comparative advantage. I. People will openly compete in those things and say, yeah, I used a couple of these things to help boost my performance. Like, I don't see any problem with with having transgender people get to that point by saying, yeah, I needed to take hormones because it made me feel more like a woman. But it's a it's an advantage for me now because I have a more clear mind in fighting. And you have somebody who is of a similar build doing that opposes less of a threat for those people. I just think it's, I, I am dumbfounded by how this is even a thing. I, 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 I I don't get it. And the people who vehemently argue for transgender athletes really need to wisen the hell up because it's dangerous. It's probably going to result like 
what's going to happen where when a ref just lets the this fox girl beat up on her opponent just cause a couple too many shots to the head and gives her permanent brain damage like just wait that's what's going to happen there's going to be some irreversible effects where people are going to be like mm-hmm, we might have been wrong the whole yeah. the whole hor- it's always hard when you learn your lessons too late the whole they're taking hormones argument is just so poor and not thought through properly i ah the crap drives me nuts yeah but once like like i said i'm all for people from the lgbtq community to live their life in a manner where they're facing less prejudice and they're not worrying for their lives but so, i i also think that you need to be respectful towards other people so something semi related and i don't know if you've covered this but what about the bathroom situation what about the transgender bathroom situation yeah i i've briefly talked about that before my my two cents on it, I, I think it was stupid that it was even brought up in the first place because transgender people had been using bathrooms for years now and we never had a problem with it. So why now? Totally agreed. Um, I, I do think that it, maybe I would make a change and what that change would be. I don't think it's so ridiculous to just have one bathroom. One place for men and women and anyone in between to piss and shit and do anything that they really need to in a bathroom setting one stall away from each other like is that is that really such a thing i don't i don't know why we still segregate that in the way that we do women don't want to put up with our shit literally Uh, our man shits are atrocious well everybody poops though it's a solution. I'm just saying everybody poops and it's another thing where intersectionality gets in the way, right? Yeah. Women's rights are getting in the way of of transgenders being treated like everybody else. Yeah, if I was a woman, I would never want universal bathrooms because women's bathrooms are generally cleaner than men's. Yeah, could be. Very well could be. I've heard some complaints from custodians that have said the opposite. I guess some women are just animals, but... Like, I don't know, in churches and stuff like that, like, you know, a lot of times, like, we clean the churches and whatnot. Women's bathrooms are normally cleaner than men's. Mm. Normally. I remember there was one soccer game we had. When was it? It was my freshman or sophomore year, and the men's bathroom was locked. So we went into the women's bathroom, and it was incredible. Pristine. There was, like, a vase with flowers in them. There was a couch. It smelled nice. There was no graffiti anywhere. There were no stick figures drawn on the stalls. You know, it smelled nice. It didn't smell like poop. And then the men's bathroom normally smells like poop. Now hear this and hear it now, ladies. We're coming for your restrooms. (laughs) We're going to stink up the joint. I want your bathroom. It's my bathroom. We're going to stand right up above those toilets and just pee all over the seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I that what a what a what a crappy situation that was. I I hope we don't have to get to a point again where like I also think it'd be kind of disrespectful if we had just like transgender bathrooms and we're like Listen here, Tranny, you go in this bathroom. Yeah, there, we don't need more segregation. I we really don't, just No, like we that. don't need that. And I just, I don't think there's been enough cases of, like, 
I know the right used the fear mongering tactic of, well, what if men just go in the bathroom so they can hit on women and stuff like that? Like, Mm -hmm. sure, but I don't want some grown ass tranny man dressing up as a woman going in there molesting my little my little girl. Yeah, I. That's we haven't had a ton of issues. Like, like I don't think we've even really had. We have one uh, large bathroom. There maybe there's more than two people in there. Yeah, that's a safety measure that yeah. helps. Well, I, I just remember, like you know, as a kid, my mom would take me into the bathroom, not not at home, but like if we were out in public, I would yeah. go into the women's bathroom. That way, she could keep an eye on me and stuff yeah. like that. You yeah. know, like I didn't leave her sight. So if parents are worried about their kids getting diddled, it's easy. Just go in the bathroom with them. Like <laughs> it's not, uh, it's not that difficult. Yeah, but this is the quickest two hours. Uh, ever. Gotta love a quickie. Gotta love a nice, a nice quickie. It's great having you on, Jeff. Right on, man. Folks, it's been great being here. Yes, it's been wonderful. All right, folks, remember to like, comment, subscribe, share, stop, drop, roll, pop, lock, and drop it. (laughs) (laughs) And that. All right, okay, bye. (laughs) 